discovered God's vision for their life, and it drastically changed their life. Um, this, it's vision from God that really gives our lives meaning, gives it purpose, but at the same time, it can be a little scary because it often takes us in a direction that we weren't going, or we certainly weren't planning on going there. We, we had our own plans, and we were doing our thing, and then divine disruption occurred. And when that happens, you have a choice. You can either go with it, or you can ignore it. Before we dive into this, though, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today. And we know that your word reveals truth and it reveals principles by which we should live our lives. It can also be challenging and abrasive to the status quo. So speak to us this morning in a way that only you can and illuminate that which you want us to see. God, we pray for those that are hurting today. We have family and friends, co-workers, people we don't even know, going through things that we're completely unaware of. And so allow your spirit to intercede and calm the storm that's causing pain. Draw them closer to you. Give them peace, God. We're grateful for your love, for your mercy, your sacrifice for our sins. We're grateful for the opportunity to be included in this thing called your kingdom here on earth. But we also know that there's a level of responsibility that goes with it. Empower us to be bold but meek. To be courageous but wise. To tell the truth but balance that with grace. God, we thank you for that church here in Cabot. And we ask that you fill Pastor Kendall with more of yourself. So that he may be able to share what you have to offer with his leadership team and with the congregation. Fill us up as well, God. Pour into our hearts and our minds the things from above. So that the things down here pale in comparison. Give us vision that's so clear that it's undeniably yours. Allow your thoughts to become ours, your ways to become our ways. And hear us now, God, as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. In that video introduction that we just had, it picked up where we left off from last week, with Jesus sending out his disciples two by two to do what he's been doing, teaching, healing, confronting the spiritual enemy, casting out demons. I mean, if that wasn't challenging enough, he's pairing them with somebody that they don't really know very well. He's sending them into areas that they are not familiar with, taking nothing with them, nothing at all, no provisions, just, just trusting on God to provide. See, there comes a point in our spiritual journey where we just have to be flexible in our obedience because the call that Jesus has on our life, the, the very thing that the Holy Spirit is asking us to do, it will contradict everything that we're comfortable with. As you get to know God more and more, He's going to challenge your thought process and your stereotypes, your traditions, your routines. And in the midst of, of pushing us and pulling us and stretching us, God is still great. God's still good. He's still on the throne. He's going to be with you, but we have to be flexible. 
Nowhere do we see flexible obedience lived out more prominently and more dramatically than in our scripture from today. So our our scripture for today was written at a time when the church was facing some of its greatest crisis of identity. When, When it was trying really to come to terms with what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ in a broken world. And if the message of Jesus was as subversive and transformative as the book of Acts portrays it to be, then the question that arose for the early disciples was, what shall the church become? So let me read this extremely important text here, and then we're going to kind of break it down. But this is Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18, and it describes the pivotal moment in the life of the church. Because up until this point, they had a certain way of doing things. That's all about to change though. Chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea, they heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So Gentiles were people who were not Jewish. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and they said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them? So circumcision was just a physical sign that the Jews were the people of God. And so they're they're getting on to Peter because it was against Jewish law for him to go into the house of a Gentile. So Peter's having to explain his actions, right? Why he went. Verse 4. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. Well, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. And then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. See, they had dietary laws for the Jews. And they were very strict. And there were certain things that they couldn't eat. And that's what Peter is seeing on this sheet that's lowered down in front of him. Verse 9. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. And so these six brothers, presumably they're standing right there beside him, these six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in the house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and your whole household will be saved. So at the same time that Peter is having this this vision in Joppa, about what's clean and unclean, there's a Roman centurion who is in Caesarea by the name of Cornelius, and he has been visited by an angel, and the angel said, send somebody to go get Peter, who's at Joppa. Bring him here, right? He's going to tell you about Jesus. Verse 15, Peter says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, Cornelius and his whole household. Everybody was there. And as as the Holy Spirit had come on us at the beginning, and then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift that he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, 
the people that Peter is speaking to there, his critics, those questioning him, when they heard this, they had no further objections. And they praised God, saying, So then, even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Can I get a big amen on that one? So Peter's being questioned by uh, his religious contemporaries, right? Other church folks. Because he had stepped out of bounds. He crossed the line. He broke custom. And it's difficult for us, so far removed from the cultural context of the Old Testament world, to really understand the magnitude of what is happening in Peter's vision and the actions that followed. The Old Testament dietary regulations that are found in the book of Leviticus were not just a matter of law. They were a matter of religious and communal identity that had been hammered out on the anvil of time. It was one of the distinguishing attributes that set the Jewish people apart from the rest of the world. It's, it's who they were. And it's this tradition and background that Peter was facing when God told him to eat the unclean food. Shatter the walls of division and go to the Gentiles. Have a meal with Cornelius and his family as a sign that nobody should be excluded from God's saving grace. Peter even acknowledges this when he gets to Cornelius, his house. He says this in Acts 10, 28. He says, you know it's unlawful for me to be here, don't you? But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. It is, in effect, a change from everything that Peter had been taught as being important to his faith. He faced nothing less than total transformation of the shape and the framework of his concept of religion. God was asking him, like, he's at, like he asked Abraham so many years before, to leave his place of security and identity, to unlearn that which had been instilled in him since his childhood, to be obedient to what God was calling him to do, you know, to launch out into uncharted areas with nothing except faith that God was going to provide for him. As the leader of the early church, Peter had to make a tough decision as to whether or not he was going to, to let the church stay just inward focused, right? And remain this Jewish sect. Um, because Jews believed that, that all the other nations outside of Judaism, that, that they were outside the mercy of God. Or was Peter going to listen to the Holy Spirit and allow the church to move outward and become a worldwide movement of God's grace and salvation? Really, the pressing issue at the time was uh, what the Jews were thinking here. Are we going to let anybody else into the club? Right? Are, are, we, are we sure we want to open this thing up to the general public? Because, you know, it, it could get messy if we do that. We don't have anything in common with the Gentiles. They're unclean. They have barbaric habits. They, they're socially inept. They worship all kinds of stuff. Besides, we're the chosen people of God. Can you imagine some of the conversations that took place over this issue? And when you get past the superficial concerns and the petty arguments, what was really bothering them was the fact that they knew deep down inside that if they welcomed the Gentiles as equals, their world was going to change. It was going to change everything that they, they believed in and how they lived their life, really. And so this was no small thing that God asked Peter to go and do. And it's no small thing that God is asking us to do either. I mean, this is where God is challenging us as his people. 
Today, we are facing the exact same issue, same type of issue, as the church did in 70 A.D. It's human nature, really, just to kind of settle in and get comfortable and complacent. But let me remind you, human nature isn't good. It's broken. It's in need of repair. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus that it's transformed. So the question that the church, that's us, has to ask itself every single day is whether or not we are willing to take this thing outside the walls and go reach out to people who are not part of it. I mean, there's no question that we want to spread the gospel and and show God's love and lead people to Christ. I'd be surprised if there's anybody in here who would say they didn't want to reach out. It's the doing that's the problem. Making it happen, it takes, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes creative thinking, it takes resources and paradigm shifts, it takes flexibility. Barriers have to be broken, walls have to come down, the Holy Spirit has to take over. But by and large, most Christians just, they love the idea of reaching out, they just don't like the process of reaching out. We like the idea so much that we declare it in our mission statements in some form or another that we're going to reach out. But the reality is, here in America, the church doesn't really know how to effectively do that. For one reason, we've really never had to. I mean, ever since the day that America was established, just up until the last probably 40 years, all the church had to do to reach new people and grow was exist. It literally was the field of dreams phenomenon. You build it and they will come. But friends, those days are gone. Time has changed. We, we are entering, to, entering into a new era where uh, this new generation of young people um, will be the first generation to start their faith journey in something other than Christianity. Research really says it'll be atheism. There just won't be any. Religion. That's what they'll be born into. So you know what that means, don't you? That if we want to reach them, we've got to do something different than what we've done in the past. If we want to change the world, then we have to figure out a way to influence the world. We can't just mentally agree with a mission statement. We can't just verbally acknowledge that reaching out is a good idea. We can't sing loud enough, preach long enough, or study hard enough to get people who are far from God into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. We've got to do what Peter did. We have to do something different because normal isn't working. By Peter going to the house of the Gentiles and sharing a meal, he demonstrated that he was willing to do whatever it took to win people to Jesus. And that's not an easy thing to do. Because you'll be criticized and you'll be questioned. You'll be mocked, talked about. People will think that you're crazy because you're doing something that's unconventional. But if we want to reach people that nobody's reaching, we've got to do things that nobody's doing. We've got to let go of our preconceived notions about how to spread the gospel and how to reach people and how to do church and how to live for Jesus. In Peter's vision, he recognized That it was the Holy Spirit's prompting for him to go do something radical. It was the Holy Spirit that was calling him to move beyond where he was. To where he needed to be in order to usher in God's kingdom here on earth. And our calling is really no different than Peter's. 
We must be real, willing to reach beyond the walls and get out of our structured way of doing things. We must discover new ways of commuting, communicating Christ to an ever-changing world and be open to and led by the Holy Spirit. And as right and as necessary as some things may have been in the past, times move on, right? I mean, my children and, and many of your children, they're building relationships and they're communicating with the world through technology I don't even know about. I can't even work it. So we've got to remember that we're not building a church for us. God is building a church for them. And in the words of Winston Churchill, the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. What is the vision that God's giving to you? What's on the sheet that is being lowered down from heaven staring you in the face? What's God revealing to us as a congregation? What once was a great idea in the past may have reached its expiration date. Because nothing is irresistible or relevant forever except the Word of God. One of the things that that could help us facilitate our, our goal in reaching new people and making disciples and discovering our path is simply to ask a single question. And that is, what is the best way to fill in the blank? That's the lead-off question that should guide everything we do. What is the best way to teach children biblical principles? What is the best way to reach youth in today's world? What is the best way to organize our small groups? What's the best way to get men involved in church? What is the best way to structure our Sunday morning programs? What is the best way to reach people who are far from God so they can find new life in Christ? That question, what is the best way? It should never change, but the answer always will. Because as the, as the culture evolves, so must we. Not, not our message, that's always the same, but our method, our model that we use to share that message should always be under construction. We've got to be ready and willing to make adjustments to our approach to ministry so that we can be responsive to an ever-changing world, the needs of the people that we're trying to reach. We should always be more concerned with um, who we're trying to reach as opposed to to who we're trying to keep. I mean, it's the whole, you know, leave the 99, go after the one concept. And the one should always be the motivating factor for what we do. The, the reason that we should try new things or take a chance or give it our all or make a change is for the one. We don't need to change to be cool or hip or relevant. We don't need to change to keep people happy. We don't need to change because we're bored with the things that we're doing, we change because God has placed a burden in our heart to reach people who need Jesus. The conversion of Cornelius and his whole household, right? And the subsequent gift of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. That was the final confirmation for Peter that this was indeed a vision from God. It was a vision of what the kingdom of God was supposed to look like here on earth. It's about reaching a hurting world and letting them know that there is a God who loves them and cares about their circumstances and one who's going to comfort them and strengthen them and guide them along life's journey. 
It's about letting the power of the resurrection work in our life through us so that the world will know that God is great and God is good and Jesus saves. We are the body of Christ. And together, we're the hope of the world. We're the chosen instrument of God. We exist so that people far from God will find new life in Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the cross, for the work that was done on it. And as glorious and as awesome as that is, man, I thank you for Peter and the vision you gave him to make your grace and your love and your mercy and your forgiveness available to anybody who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that you raised him from the dead. We are a blessed people. Oftentimes we, we take it for granted or we forget about it or something goes on in our life and we get distracted from just how, how blessed we really are. And because of all of those distractions, God, we, we don't really, we don't share the gospel with the people in our life. We just assume they've either got it or they're okay or... God, put a burden in our heart, a, a desire to speak Jesus to the people around us. God, we know there's a lot of hurting people in the world. We also know you're the answer. So make us instruments of spreading the gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.